things theology, all things theology. We chop it up properly without an apology. Gotta get doxology to God hollow because this is how we do it at all things theology. Grace and peace, guys. This is K Dub, and welcome to another episode of All Things Theology. I'm I'm very excited for this one. This was a uh, with a good friend of mine, Mr. Omri Miles. Man, how you doing, bro? Doing well, man. That's Thanks good. for having me, bro. Oh yeah, of course, man. Uh, me and Omri, man, we 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 met a while back. We started having uh, conversations on the phone, started fellowshipping from there, and then I came to Phoenix and. Um, yeah, man, that's, that's just kind of how we met. Um, so why don't you introduce the people to you? Uh, why don't you introduce the people, man? Let them know who Omri is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a full-time ministry right now at Grace Bible Church on staff. Um, it's a privilege to be able to just serve here, um, in Tempe, Arizona. And, uh, been married nine years to my wife, Emily. We have uh, four children, ages six, five, two, and one, and one more on the way. So uh, she's really busy. Yeah. <laughs> is what that means. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, um, of you know, education, I... Uh, Got a biblical counseling degree at the Masters University uh, before getting uh, a seminary uh, degree and my MDiv from the Expositor Seminary uh, here on our campus. And so now I'm just applying applying those skills in uh, in shepherding ministry here in the in the local church. So yeah, that's what I, I get to do. Well, that's good, man. Uh, definitely encouraged by you and. Uh, just the things of ministry you're doing. Um, recently, you put together a six-part series dealing with the issue of of social justice, uh, critical race theory, kind of this, uh, you know, these things that's going on, this debate going on inside uh, the church today. Why, why don't you tell people about that and where they can find that? Yeah, so the six-part series titled Racism, Social Justice, and the Woke Movement. Uh, can be found at gbcaz.org. That's the church's website. And uh, we have what we call a quipping hour, uh, an hour before our service. It's, uh, you know, just an opportunity to increase the teaching that's happening in the church uh, outside of the the main preaching. Mm -hmm. And so... Really, that was a six-part series that just sought to equip our church on how to think about these things. Mm -hmm. um, we, over the years, you know, this conversation has has been happening, and the church has sort of been in the the midst of this conflict for several years now. Talking about racism has been a hot button issue, and our church has has taken our lumps um, and and. We've taught periodically uh, as things have come up with Trayvon Martin and Ferguson and these high-profile uh, events that the media has put the spotlight on. 
we've had to help shepherd our people and how to think about those things and right. the various issues that have arisen from that. Yeah. But really, this was uh, my attempt to sort of put a stake in the ground and not just one sermon, not just a roundtable discussion, mm -hmm. not just a couple weeks of Q&A with the elders, but really to, to open up the scriptures and do a little bit of a deep dive into these issues and address specific uh specific ideologies, specific statements or ideas that are being pushed in the woke movement. Yeah. And they're, they're really our church as a, as a whole isn't divided over this. You know, we, we've had uh, more division in the past, but we've weathered that and the churches remain pretty stable. We've had some people leave in the past over these things um, as the elders thankfully refused to capitulate on mm -hmm. these issues and, and, and took a biblical stand. And so now where we're at is sort of like the, the controversy isn't happening in the body, but it's neighbors, coworkers, mm -hmm. friends, family. Right. And these things are still coming up. And so just trying to equip our people on how to how to think rightly about these things yeah. was the goal. Yeah. Do you think that's what's caused you to address it? Because, you know, there's friends, family, uh, past members of the church uh, that have uh, kind of embraced this ideology. Do you think that's like what's caused you uh, specifically to do this six part series and start getting, um, like you said, uh, putting that stake in the ground? Yeah, uh, it was really, um, that is the, the reason, you know, that's a part of, of shepherding our churches, right? helping them know how to think biblically about these things, because it's not going away. Right, right, right. You know, and even though the controversy may not be uh, amongst the members, mm -hmm. uh, there's still a, a need, has been a need to help people know how to think about these things and address them with others that they love you know yeah definitely um well, well let's dive into this so you you read a lot of the a lot of major social justice works uh or you know some of the social justice works things like robin d'angelo's white fragility uh jamar tisby's how to fight racism uh some of james cone's work which people have uh promoted him as well man i know when i've read some of those works man it's 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 a it's a bit of it's a daunting task because you know, just constantly reading this these erroneous works. I don't know. If, I don't know how you feel, but for me, it's like man, just depressing in some sense. Like, how do you feel yeah. after like just reading through all these materials? Um, I certainly don't endorse reading error mm -hmm. as a common practice. Right, you know, right. I, I, I don't. I don't encourage Christians. <laughs> hey, uh, when the next error or trend pops up, go like interact with those works just for fun. Right. Right. right? Um, it is spiritually weary. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's difficult. The, the two books you mentioned, uh, I got these books on my shelf now. I mean, reading while black was another one yeah. by Esau McCauley, mm -hmm. generous justice by Tim Keller. So just like trying to wade through those things, man. Um, it was more out of necessity mm -hmm. for me. Uh, just not wanting to 
refute or or spar with a a caricature of the movement, but I want to know what's actually being said, right. what people are actually uh, believing and teaching, and so having engaged with those things, man, I'm I'm still actually in in that process, yeah, uh, still reading um, and finishing up some of those books. Uh, after reading enough to get a, a good idea of what was being said, being able to quote uh, in context from those things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm personally just eager for, for the church to be to be done with that. Yeah, no, I feel you. But, but I think that for, for me personally, just coming to a point where the the main reading has been done and a good rebuttal has been presented mm-hmm. and just being able to kind of stand on that and and have produced a helpful resource for our church to be able to reference them back to is is really my goal and so I'm still reading because yeah. I want to just put some things in writing for our church and sort of sort of move on from that I mean there's always going to be some error right yeah, so yeah. just part of of caring for people is going to be engaging with these things and, and when it's not this anymore it'll be the next right, thing right. and that's just a part of uh, a pastor's calling is to have to shepherd his people and engaging with the error is sometimes a part of that so yeah definitely it can be definitely be weary but um one of the things i loved about your series on social justice uh and i definitely i highly recommend that people listen to the six-part series that you put out is that it was so embedded with scripture um especially like the first session, like you, it was almost like you intentionally started with the word of God with, uh, addressing the issue of biblical justice and racism and and things like that. Um, so it seems like you thought it was necessary to start with that. Why why do you believe that it is necessary in this discussion? Some would say, well, I think that's, yeah, go go ahead. That's, that's just lacking, man. Like you hear a lot of the, the chatter, over the years and people are making accusations from one side to the other and um, even some of the the voices currently that are able to point out the flaws in some of the secular ideologies that are being brought into the church mm-hmm. listen it's great to be able to identify the harm that this brings to society and how there may be a wrong view of history and how this, you know, disrupts some benefit of American culture. Right. That's great. Thank you for making those observations. But at the end of the day, that's not an authority, you know? Right. Um, The scriptures are the authority willingly for the christian but for everybody what god has said because god is the creator and he possesses all authority then he gets to tell us what is true and he has clearly communicated that in his word and so in that first lesson uh, from whence cometh my clarity is what i titled that mm-hmm. is starting there and just as a foundational uh, component to the entire discussion. This is where we're going to start. This is where we're going to stay. 
and everything about that we're going to talk about when it comes to racism and social justice and equality and what's happening in the woke movement, oppression, all of that is going to orbit around what the scriptures say. Right, and so we're not right. going to, uh, you know, throw out some biblical doctrine and then say whatever we want to say based on some general uh, appeal to a biblical doctrine. Mm -hmm. But no, we're going to actually stay rooted in specific texts of scripture, carefully uh, exposited, exegeted uh, the details, giving careful attention to all of those details and in all of the glory of those texts. That's what I wanted to do. And so the two major texts that came into play when I studied this was, and there could, there are many. But the two that I really wanted to hammer home were Psalm 19 and Proverbs chapter 2. Yeah. Those two texts so stress the sufficiency and clarity of Scripture mm -hmm. that even throughout, as I continued studying and as I've been thinking about these issues for months, those texts have been so crucial because of what they they do for the Christians thinking when it comes to the sufficiency and clarity of scripture. Right. Um, for Psalm 19, as David exalts the way God has designed creation to speak for him, but then in the second half of Psalm 19, not only does creation speak for God, but God speaks for himself mm -hmm. in his word. And what you see in verses seven and following is that what God has designed creation to say is clear. What God has designed uh, his word to say for himself is clear. But what his word does is far beyond what creation is able to do. Mm -hmm. Right, where creation just reveals God generally, God's word reveals him specifically. And so you get these tremendous statements starting in verse seven, the law of not not God, right, Elohim, but Yahweh, the specific covenant keeping God of Israel, has spoken for himself in his law. His law is perfect, restoring the soul. His testimony is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of Yahweh are true and righteous altogether. Hmm. In there, there's no way you're going to read that and be left thinking. But there's this other thing that God's word doesn't accomplish or doesn't do right. that I need to seek out for greater understanding, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, God's word is sufficient just in that succinct description and specifically when it comes to the perspicuity of God's word, right? The clarity of God's word. Right. There's a statement in verse eight about the commandment of the Lord is pure and that word actually means clear or lucid, mm. right? It is clear objectively regardless of who disagrees with it, mm -hmm. regardless of who accuses it of being unclear, this says that it actually is objectively clear. And what it does 
in it, all of its glorious clarity is it enlightens the eyes. It's so clear. It clarifies the perspective and insight of the one who comes to it in faith, mm-hmm. right? Eager to believe God's word. What it will do is cause you to see the world rightly yeah. and clearly. And so where you have uh, unbelievers and believers who are holding to or who are a part of the woke movement saying, and this is Esau McCulley's foundational principle in his book, mm. is that the reason we have missed God's intended aim when it comes to justice and the issue of race, the reason we've missed that is because we have not adopted or we have pushed aside a black hermeneutic. Wow. A black way of interpreting scripture. Wow. Well, the problem isn't that people don't interpret the Bible black enough. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> um, the problem is, is, is not that our ethnicity or some white privilege has prevented me from understanding what God has clearly said. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't need to acknowledge my privilege. I don't need to give up my privilege, if that is even true, in order to finally see the Bible rightly. Right. You know, what do you do it with, with privileged people in Scripture? I mean, Paul in Romans 3 says that the Jews mm. were a privileged people because they had been given the very oracles of God. So, I mean, right. if denouncing privilege is the way to obtain clarity when it comes to the Scriptures— then no Jew should have ever been able to gain clarity because they couldn't do anything they had. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, in, the, in the series, just trying to, to give our people here confidence that you can approach God's word um, with all of your experience and baggage and gain actual clarity. Right, right. right. Without, with all being there you don't need an experience to have the clarity that you need from scripture what you do need is a believing heart what you do need is a pure conscience right what paul says in first timothy five uh chapter one verse five and following a pure heart a good conscience and a sincere faith are the ways to avoid error Mm. because some people strain from these have wandered into uh strange teachings, other other doctrines, right? Right, right, um, yeah. And so a person who's coming to God's word, eager to believe, prayerfully depending on God to give them clarity and understanding in the scriptures, if a, if a defiled conscience is not there, if you don't have ulterior motives, wrong motives, then you can trust that God is going to give you true clarity when you come to the scriptures. Uh, and the effect in our church has been... Um, even on the heels of the previous series, which is also would also be an excellent resource that uh, one of my pastors taught on the clarity and authority of scripture uh, when it comes to interpretation. Um, what that has done for our church is it has just strengthened people's resolve to read their Bibles mm. more often, That's good. more carefully, uh, more zealously and with an expectation to be granted wisdom that God is eager to give us, uh, according to, to Proverbs 2. He's, he's willing and eager to dispense his wisdom and understanding 
to a humble, submissive, dependent people. And so that's what we want to want to instill in our body is is that uh is that confidence. Yeah. Allow me to uh give some pushback because, you know, many in the woke movement, you know, may, may agree with a lot what you're saying, but then we'll turn around and say things like, "Well, what's wrong with Christians? What's wrong with me using things like critical race theory, you know, cuz not all of it is bad, right? Um didn't Paul use a secular ideology to demonstrate Yahweh in Acts 17, right? Um Critical race theory is just an analytical tool. Unbelievers say things that are true. What what would be your response to something like that? Because that's generally a response I hear when you know I say no, critical race theory is unbiblical. It's not something we should be embracing. What would you say to that? Yeah. So, um, one of the issues with that is number one to just to just grant that the the truth in that statement right in that rebuttal is that yeah there are things that critical race theorists put forward that are true there are some things that right that you would find by people in the woke movement who embrace crt that are actually true one example of that is that race is a social construct mm-hmm. Amen. Right. There's not actually a difference between um, people with darker and lighter melanin, uh, or more or less melanin, in their skin. Skin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's not an actual biological difference when it comes to intelligence or levels of competency or skill. Right. Right. That's not an issue of skin color. So we can actually affirm that's actually true. Right. The question is, we didn't need CRT to tell us that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, scripture already says that. Right, right. From, the, from Genesis 1 and 2, God created all men, and that's to, you know, a nod to Acts 17, that's even Paul's point, is that mm-hmm. all people came from one man, descended from one man. Right. Um, and so it's like, okay, if, if that's helpful about CRT, then y'all are late to the party. <laughs> We've been saying that for a long time, right? right. Christians, people who have been reading their Bibles, um, are almost 3,500 years ahead of y'all right, right. in making that observation. So that's not helpful about CRT mm-hmm. um, because scripture's already said that. I even talked to a, a prominent pastor who's been unhelpful in this discussion in the airport recently. Mm-hmm. He and his wife happened to be going out of town and I was like in the middle of this series. It was funny. I had taught three lessons. Um, we took one week off for me to, cause, cause I was coming out of town and I had actually quoted him in previous lessons and one of my pastors who was with me said, Hey, you should just go talk to him right now. You know, he's here. Yeah. And so I'm like, cool. So I, I went over and, and talked to him a little bit. Um, and one of the things he and his, his wife were saying is that, you know, we don't embrace everything about critical race theory, but it can be helpful mm. because it identifies that, uh, institutions can be racist or systemic racism is is a reality 
in our world and in our country. Well, if that, again, if that's what's helpful about critical race theory, it's late to the party because right. the scriptures have already told us that, right? right? right. You, you can read Exodus and know, oh yeah, you can systematize oppression. Right. right? And Solomon acknowledges that, that reality mm-hmm. in uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, uh, the, the fruit, the land of the poor would be fruitful, but it swept the way through, through oppression. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, we get that. We, we can read that all throughout the scriptures. Um, that was even happening in Jesus day when the Pharisees and the scribes were devouring widows houses. And so great. Jesus acknowledges systemic oppression too. Again, if that's the case and these things are, firmly rooted in scripture, then why do we need critical race theory to tell us what we already know as Christians? Right. So that's, that's one issue there, right? Is that there are things that are true, but they're not unique Mm -hmm. to critical race. Mm -hmm. And therefore the system, the ideology itself is unnecessary. It doesn't bring any value to what we already know as Christians. Um, Scripture is sufficient in that sense. Um, a couple of other things, though, to consider is that there are tenets of critical race theory that actually contradict what Scripture is saying. Yeah. And I just recently watched an interview where a guy who would embrace that idea that it's helpful was actually willing to acknowledge that. And I was thankful to hear that because mm-hmm. I haven't heard You're that, right. <laughs> that very much. Um but he acknowledged that there are things that Christians absolutely have to reject. I would say one of those things is this, uh, what's commonly called, or, you know, standpoint epistemology. Mm -hmm. You have to have a certain experience to gain clarity or insight into certain realities that are happening in the world. Um, and, you know, Tim Keller has bought into that in his book, Generous Justice. He uh, he alludes or talks about the fact that black people, minorities, oppressed people actually have a better ability to understand justice. Um, and, and he was awakened to that reality and injustice because his privilege, white privilege, kept him from understanding those things. Um, that actually has to be rejected yeah. because that's an affront on the clarity and sufficiency of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other thing about critical race theory and the reason the church has to reject that is because there are central tenets that without you would no longer have critical race theory that make unity within the church absolutely impossible. Unity in the church cannot be had if these core tenets of critical race theory are embraced, such as white privilege. Right. Right? White privilege, this idea that you are privileged or benefited uh, in ways that you're unaware of And so you're complicit in racist structures and systems that perpetuate racism just by virtue of being white. And therefore, 
you need to leverage your privilege to do something to help or address the inequity that's happening to minorities. Mm-hmm. So if you bring that idea into the church, um, which is not actually true, well, now something that's false has become critical to us having unity. You're right. Right? I have to embrace this error to have unity. And so when scripture uh, paints a biblical view of justice, biblically defines what true justice is, then if I stand on God's version of justice and reject your idea of, of white privilege and me giving up that privilege so that we can now have true justice, now we're just, we're at an impasse, mm-hmm. right? I don't accept your error and say what the Bible's saying, then you're telling me I'm being divisive. Right. And I just can't go there. And that's that has happened in our church, in the church. Um, and even just recently, Charlie Dates, in preaching about John 17, uh, gave some some criteria, some, some criteria by which unity was attainable. You know, you got to include black authors in your seminaries and you need to have a diverse elder board and all of these kind of things. And it's like, <laughs> those aren't actual biblical criteria. And so if I right. refuse to go there with, you're telling me we can't have unity. And, and so those are reasons why critical race theory actually has to be rejected um, wholesale by the church. And if we just cling to the biblical truth, the truth that scripture actually puts forward, if there's anything helpful about critical race theory, then we won't be missing it right. because we'd actually get it from what scripture actually already says. No doubt. No doubt, man. Um, oftentimes in this conversation, you know, where a, I think a lot of people miss what, you know, people like maybe me or you may be saying when we, we, when we uh, articulate, well, we just need to uh, get back to the gospel. Uh, we need to preach the gospel, you know, and so I, I feel like a lot of the times in this conversation that's been mischaracterized as is as if we only care about justification and then every other Christian doctrine is kind of dismissed. And so the characterization has been so just preach the gospel. Right. So you saying we don't need to care about feeding the poor, uh, loving your neighbor. We don't need to care about uh, racism. How would you address kind of this uh, what I would call a mischaracterization of just preach the gospel? Yeah. Don't let me forget to, if you could, maybe you want to include this in your show notes or something, but the, um, there's a super helpful, like 90 minute lecture on this. Okay. That I want to send you. Yeah. yeah. But the issue there is just preach the gospel. I don't know any, any Christian who thinks that the only thing the church needs to do is literally just <laughs> preach the gospel. Right, right. Right. Even in Romans, which is satu- gospel saturated, there are other things besides justification by faith and, you know, penal substitutionary atonement, right? right? If, right. You, if, if that's the gospel, Jesus died for sinners and substituted himself in their place to bear the wrath of God so that they would be justified who have faith and now they have peace with God and when he rose up 
from the grave, you know, secured salvation for all those for whom he died. Like if, if that's the gospel and that's what somebody must believe to inherit eternal life, I don't know any church that thinks that's all we're supposed to be doing. Right. 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 Um, there's not a, a good example in scripture of a, a, a book in the Bible that only says that. You're right. Right. Yeah, there yeah. are factions in the church that need to be addressed. There are issues about how to use spiritual gifts, how to practice the one another's, how to relate to the world, mm-hmm. uh, what to do with your mind and your heart, what to do with your work professionally. I mean, it's, scripture addresses everything right. in some way. But really what that's become, the just preach the gospel, uh, has become shorthand for a singular ecclesiology, um, a, a view of the church that says our job is limited or restricted by God to making disciples, right? Uh, teaching people all that Jesus has commanded which does not include a cultural renewal yeah. right? mandate, this social mandate that requires us to go renew the culture, um, Christianize the state in a sense, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm, I'm using that phrase. Uh, that would say our job is to establish justice outside of the church. Right. So the just preach the gospel churches are the ones who aren't pursuing social justice as some part of the church's mission or the great commission, right? Churches that are called to just, I say just, it's like just evangelize and then equip our members to go build up disciples. Churches that just do that, um, are actually obeying the Great Commission. Right. We're doing what Jesus called us to do. And Christians are going to do good. They should do good um, to unbelievers out in the world. But the job of the church is not to go change laws, yeah. right? If that was, then you have the church failing until Western representative democracy mm-hmm. came into existence, yeah. right? When it's been actually the citizen's job or privilege, really, to influence government the way that we can. Yeah, the church hasn't been failing in its in its job since then. Right, you know, uh, and and the first century church was unable, didn't even have access to government in the same ways. And so, anyway, our, our job isn't to do that. But if what you mean by just preach the gospel is uh, evangelize. And, and make disciples in the specific ways that Jesus required the church to do, then I guess that's, I'm just preaching yeah, the gospel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to me, it seems like even that's, it's it's an attack on the sufficiency of the gospel when you say things like just preach the gospel as if the gospel doesn't have the power to change the racist or uh, enemies of the faith. So, so when you talk about just preaching the gospel as opposed to social justice, People are, I feel like people are putting the cart before the horse even, you know, you want to change yeah. these laws or change the races or, you know, so-called, um, but the only way we can do that, biblically speaking, is through the gospel, you know, um, yeah. that's, that's the, that's the primary, I mean, that's the, that's what the apostles were going around doing, preaching the gospel, you know. I had a, I had a good friend of mine 
who told me the problem with that mindset is election. Mm. <laughs> the doctrine of election. Yeah. Truth would be a problem for that. And what he meant by that was everybody's not going to believe the gospel. We know from you know Ephesians 1, predestinations teaches us that God has actually selected people who are going to receive the message of the gospel and be effectually called to believe in Jesus and then reform their lives based on what God requires in submission to his authority. So that means if that's the, if that's the, the goal, what you just described, then you're basically saying everybody's not going to be helped out of the church. Wow. Right. Yeah. Because if the gospel is the means of bringing that change about, then what are you saying about gospel? Do they just never get reformed? Do does justice never happen in them? And I would say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of like it's sort of like we don't want a world that rejects God to look like a world that rejects God right. and the gospel. You know, and, and it's yeah. like Listen, there is no salvation. There is no justice. There is no true justice right. um, apart from submission to God's law. And so a group of people, um, an individual, a marriage, uh, parents who refuse to submit to God's law, why should they look just, right? right. It, 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 should that be, be heartbreaking to the Christian that the detrimental effects of groups and a society that rejects God are going to experience the the harmful effects of rejecting God, that should break our heart. Yeah, definitely. Um, we should grieve. Yeah. And that should fuel more ardent evangelistic endeavors right, right? Yeah. From, from us. Um, and, and we just need to be content to let God do what he will through the means that he's prescribed for the church. Yeah, definitely. Um, if God wanted to reform society apart from the gospel, then he would have given some command in the new Testament for the church to be doing it. Right. But what you see or what you, what you, what you lack in the entire new Testament is any mandate. You lack a mandate. You lack a, an explicit commandment. You lack an example. You lack apostol apostolic commendation yeah. for doing the kind of social justice work that people are saying the church is required to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not a single text in the entire New Testament or example of people doing this or even be, being commended. All the people that the apostles commend to churches and whose work they commend from churches, not a single one is on a social justice work or establishing justice or cultural renewal that woke proponents say that we're supposed to be doing now. Mm. And so it takes boldness, I think, to just say, you know what? I'm going to be more confident in, in God's authority over the church and Christ as the head of the church. And I'm just not buying into that. I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm not capitulating right. on it. Regardless of the pressure that's coming from the world to be about something other than what Jesus has told us we're supposed to be about. Yeah, no doubt, man. Over the over the last few years, and you brought this up in your uh, series, 
we've seen this uh this defund the police movement um as well this kind of you know we need to break away from this authority of the police because right uh as robin d'angelo and other critical race theories have said right it's all rooted in white supremacy anyway so what's what's wrong with movements like defund the police and or even black lives matter who's very strongly you know defund the police yeah so authority so what you what you see in this movement is not a humble gentle appeal for just authority Mm -hmm. right um as opposed to unjust authority really what the movement seems to tend toward and i'm not saying that every christian who's a part of this or every even unbeliever who's a part of this wants this but really where this tends is everybody being a rule unto themselves Mm. or it's no accident that the people who are pushing this actually become the authority, Mm. which is interesting to watch. It's like you watch and read people who are pushing these ideas. And I've asked, well, who says that that's right? Right. And what ends up happening is the person who's supposed to be the expert on these things ends up being the authority, Mm -hmm. right? They, they are at the top of the food chain. They know what's wrong. They possess the only objectivity to be had right. in this discussion. And so even what I dealt with in, in the second lesson is what Jesus says in, uh, in John chapter 7 is that anyone who speaks from his own authority seeks his own glory. Mm. And so the whole defund the police really... I think is being pushed by people who want autonomy. Yeah, yeah. Right? And the police are an impediment. Yeah. <laughs> They're an impediment to me having the autonomy that I crave, which always in every single case is a stepping stone to me having some form of lawlessness that I prefer. Yeah. You know? Um, there's something that I want that God condemns and whoever it is, parents or school administrators or police are an impediment in the way to me having whatever particular form of lawlessness I crave. Wow, yeah. And so I need to out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Right? Paul tells us that as a matter of first importance in this war for souls, right? To, to win people to Christ, to maintain the faith of those in the church as an order of like the, the first weapon, so to speak in that war for souls is prayer. And what we're supposed to be praying for is uh, for kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. These are the same people, like, they're going to kill Paul soon. They're, they've been persecuting Christians. And Paul says, pray for them in such a way or pray for them so that to this end that we would be able to live a tranquil and quiet life. 
That's not defund the police. That's not yeah. overthrow the king. Yeah. It doesn't say pray for their overthrows that so that we can get on living peaceably. Right. He says pray for them so that they would make decisions that actually result in the Christian being able to live at peace. Mm. And and that does not look like a, a, a an angry mob railing against uh, law enforcement. Yeah. Um, that's just foolish. Who's going? You know. Anyway. Yeah. No. That- and there there have been viable uh, solutions in the place of police officers, right? Minnesota, I, I read recently, is uh, bolstering their their uh, law enforcement budget now because the need is is so great. After uh, all of this push to defund the police, yeah. <laughs> uh, now uh, there's so much lawlessness happening in the state. I mean, go figure, right? Right. right. Yeah. W- one of the things that, and I've seen uh, Christians kind of joining the uh, protest or many times even riots with, you know, the chant often is, right? Uh, when do we want justice, right? We want it now. So the, that kind of this attitude of by any means, right? Even if that's us taken to the street and uh beating beating cars looting we're going to get this justice yeah. we w- we're going to demand that we get justice which i think is anti-christian because um you don't yeah. you don't bring about justice by creating injustice to get what you want yeah and so that's that's kind of yeah. the whole irony of uh many christians getting on board with um that this kind of movement and ideology yeah absolutely man um, even the the mantra, no justice, no peace, right, 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 right. Uh, has been, you know, if, if we don't get this justice on our terms, yeah, we're gonna give you problems, right? <laughs> yeah. We're not gonna let you have peace unless you give us justice on our terms, right? And uh, that's just anti-authoritarian, you know. I I had friends who went to a protest and they were out there shouting that like, yeah, you know, there's a righteous cause and these yeah. are like believers. Yeah. And, and I'm like talking to them about that and, it, it, you know, to their credit, it was like, oh yeah, that's not really yeah. a Christian attitude. You know? <laughs> if my kids said, look dad, here my list of demands <laughs> and I'm making problems until you give them to me. Right. <laughs> it's going to be a problem yeah. for them. Right, right. Because God, God has made me the authority. Like, um, all authority is God given. All real authority is God given. Uh, Romans thirteen says that Jesus echoes that sentiment when he's talking to Pilate in John nineteen. You would have no authority unless it were given you from above. And so the parent, governments, husbands, they all have authority. Right. But it's all derived authority. Right. Um, yeah. You can't like relinquish your God given authority to the angry mob because they they're demanding it of you um you have a responsibility before god to wield that authority in a way that's uh just and helpful and uh useful in whatever realm god's given it yeah it's just in a it's kind of like you said just an attack on authority you know i I can't imagine right the the co-workers making demands for the manager on how he's to run his business like I mean, <laughs> you ain't gonna have a job too much long. I will find somebody else. You know what I mean. And so that's the, I mean, ultimately it's an attack on God's authority because He's established these things and how society is to uh, outwork itself. And so yeah, man. Um, so let's move to this topic because oftentimes when you ask someone, 
uh, for me, I've experienced this proof of racism today and systemic racism. I, I generally get a couple things right. People will generally uh, give me some kind of um, interpreted disparity, right? So uh, let's bring up, you know, they may say, well, the wealth gap, you know, or something like that, or yep. or they'll bring up, you know, well, past past events that were clearly racist as proof of racism today. Um, so wh why do you think things like disparities or past racism is not a proof for why America or as a whole or white people or as a whole are, uh, you know, systemically racist? There's a couple issues with that. And that's a great question. That's we, we devoted um, the entire fourth lesson to this very uh, issue where um, we dealt with just wrong thinking about about disparities mm -hmm. um for starters one question that i've i've grown to just love asking people is says who yeah <laughs> says who. and the reason i'm i i ask that um we we do evangelism in downtown tempe mm -hmm. every week and so unbelievers when they're putting forth a truth claim i just want to know where are you getting that? By what standard? By what standard? Right. That's another way of asking the very same thing. Yeah. Is you're you're trying to get that. What's the authority mm -hmm. behind that claim you're making? Right. Um, and that's an easy stepping stone for the Christian to just get back to the scripture. Right. 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 Which is where we want to be anyway. Yep. And we need to call believers and unbelievers to submit their thinking and reasoning to the scriptures. So when it comes to disparities, you look at real wealth gaps when you or real gaps when you di divide uh by ethnicity in these various areas whether it's wealth whether it's uh company ownership and and entrepreneurial um attainments whether it's educational attainments incarceration rates all of those things sometimes the, the, depending on how you divide the data you can come come to a legitimate disparity in uh, between whites and blacks, right? And you see, like, oh, blacks underperform in this area, where whites far outperform blacks in this same area. Mm -hmm. There are real disparities. I don't. I want to acknowledge that. Right. Right. Um, especially when you take into account that black people make up a much smaller percent of the population mm -hmm. compared with their white counterparts, uh, there, are, there are real disparities. With that being said, though, if you wanted to say the, the gap in, for example, wealth or educational attainment is irrefutable proof of racism, I want to know says who. Who says that wherever there's a gap in these areas, it's proof of racism. Right, right. If, if you pushed somebody to explain why that was proof, all they would be able to give you is more of the same kinds of claims. Yeah. They could tell you of a fixed principle even by God's word, because what they would have to do is is prove based on what God says why that shouldn't ever be the case. <laughs> right. 
right? Right, right. Uh, if if things are equal, then there should never be a gap between people. And even in the Mosaic Law, when he says, uh, when God says, there shall be no poor among you, he doesn't mean that, that there won't be any disparities. Right. Um, but he provided a phenomenally wise way of obligating people to be generous, even in the Old Testament, among God's people. Just like in the New Testament, we have the same obligation to be generous, specifically to God's people. That's where God obligates uh, the mutual care for one another, right? right? If, if, a, if a believer in my church, a woman is widowed, for example, and then there's all kind of criteria in 1 Timothy 5 for those widows, then the church is obligated for the widow who meets those criteria to absolutely support and care for her full time. Um, right. Let her p- be put on the roll. Um, but even that doesn't mean the widow could, there, there could be a great disparity between the wealthiest person or the wealthiest group of people in a church and the widow who's being provided full time for the church. Right? Um, so just as a foundational principle in this discussion, you would have to demonstrate from God's word why there shouldn't be any significant disparities or else that's a sign of injustice. The other issue with this is just it it doesn't hold true that that it is proof of of racism when it comes to t- to statistics. Right. right. Um even even when it comes to black men being killed by police officers, there are actually more whites um, who are killed by police officers than black. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the numbers just don't hold up. Um, when you take into account other ethnicities, if it's true that systems are structured to benefit certain ethnicities over others, and that explains the disparity, then you would have to come to the conclusion that uh, Nigerian Americans, right. the system is intended to profit them right. because they come to America and do very well. Better than whites. Better than whites. <laughs> so, so with that premise, then America is structurally racist in favor of Nigerian Americans against white Americans, right, right, right. Americans of European descent. And nobody's going to buy that. No, no, right? no, no. no. Um, that's not white supremacy. Right. <laughs> American, America, a white, a, a nation founded on white supremacy and principles that are inherently racist is now profiting Asian Americans mm-hmm. <laughs> More than white Americans, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? Because um, the divorce rate is lower among Asian Americans, and you know whatever whatever other category you want to pick, oftentimes Asian Americans uh, benefit more than white Americans, and so you just don't even hear about those kinds of uh, statistics when it comes to uh, the number of engineers or uh, men and women and technological uh, professions, you know, Asian Americans excel far more than whites and blacks 
well, why is that not a sign of racism? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so that just that just proves that the the ideology is flawed from the jump mm-hmm. because it doesn't actually hold true when consistently applied uh, to other racial groups. Yeah, and it's it's the it's the abuse of facts. What I've seen, you know, you 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 can abuse and interpret a fact to lead to the conclusion where you want to. For example, I can make the premise that the NBA is actually the most racist institution against white people. Why? The NBA has about 75 to 80% black people. Of the top 15 like scorers of all time, only one is white. You know? Therefore, the NBA is racist against white people. But but that would be an absurd conclusion. You know. Yep. It does but, but it's the same it's the same way of arguing. Right, it is. It so is. if you wanna if you wanna you know embrace that that argumentation, that line of reasoning, hey, apply apply equal weight. Yeah, yeah. Equal measure. As the Bible says. You know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. No, I, I totally agree, man. Um maybe another thing. We you know, with the woke woke uh, movement and, and things like people who are kind of half-heartedly embracing uh, critical race theory, one of the things I've seen is this neo-definition of racism, this neo-racism, where racism is not just simply uh, hatred for, for a person made in the image of God, right? Uh, this partiality displayed against a, a person or particular group of people. Racism now invo- involves this idea of power and privilege so so black people in america it's the argument goes right black people in america do not possess power and privilege so in this way black blacks collectively cannot be racist um yeah what what do you because you dealt you dealt with this in your uh series uh what would you say to that um just just one before I answer that question, one more note on the disparity yeah, issue. Yeah. Disparity didn't bother Jesus. Mm. Um, they didn't bother God. Right. Uh, there are there are times where he actually requires there to be a one hundred percent disparity. For example, in Israel's king, they all had to be Jews. Mm. Uh Jesus only chose uh twelve heterosexual <laughs> uh Jewish males to be his apostles. I mean, and only 12. Is that? Are, <laughs> and only 12, there were no women, right? Yeah. They, they had variation, but it's not the kind of variation that people are calling for in our day. So anyway, yeah. that's an interesting, that would be an interesting way to, to just read through scripture and notice those disparities that were actually obligated by God. He prefers 100% of the people leading his church to be men, the, the pastors. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway, yeah, that's the, good. The issue, I've seen that same thing where you actually can't make, it seems, a an argument in favor of woke ideology unless you embrace that presupposition mm-hmm. that race, unless you define racism in terms of structures and not individuals, mm-hmm. then you can't actually make the, the arguments that you want to make to follow. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, that is a that's something that's sadly been embraced by a lot of Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, that racism is not a matter of individual merit, but it's a matter of uh, you know by definition, racism is something that is structural in nature. Um, 
the issue with that is you you can't have sin without an right sin doesn't just work without being perpetuated by individuals and where sinful structures are upheld the individuals upholding them are held accountable by god yeah yeah. right and this is where you look at at revelation 20 the white throne judgment god god's not punishing systems and (laughs) sending them to hell yeah yeah. like a fire it's individuals who are called to account right uh specific sins specific choices, specific motives, specific attitudes. Those are the things that are punishable by God. Um, And I think one of the reasons people are willing, so two things, two groups of people who are willing to embrace that wrong definition of of sin, of, of racism. If you don't define racism in terms of hatred and partiality, and you just define it in an unbiblical sense of system, there are two groups of Christians who are willing to accept that. One group is the, the group that wants to, to gain power over other people's conscience. Mm-hmm. If I can convince you that, well, I'm not saying you are racist, <laughs> right? I'm not saying you're walking around at night with a, a, a white hood on. <laughs> But I can convince you you're still somehow guilty. Complicit. Then I complicit. I get to be the one who gets to tell you what to do about it, mm. especially mm. if you've been unaware of it your whole life. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've grown up with this invisible set of privileges, this tool bag of privileges, um, white privileges. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as Matt Chandler said, yeah, right yeah. in 2017, um, things like growing up with a two-parent home and uh, and being taught to work hard. Yeah, yeah. You can do things if you work hard. It's like, <laughs> man, if that's what it means to be white, white privilege. I, I grew up with white privilege too. My black people taught me the same thing. Yeah. Um, but but basically, if I can convince you of that, then, then I get to be the authority over your conscience. And that's where what Jesus' statement again in John 7 those people are seeking their own glory mm-hmm. in doing that. Yeah, yeah. They are seeking to gain power and praise and and hold hold sway over other people's conscience. Yeah. Christians need to reject the other group though that is willing to embrace that wrong definition of racism is I think white people who are seeking to escape guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If if the person who misunderstands and is failing to apply a biblical definition of racism embraces that, right? Then I can escape explicit condemnation for 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 participating in 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 the this racist system. Mm-hmm. Because right, my, my my woke friend is telling me, "Hey, I don't I don't think you're doing this on purpose." Okay, well, I'm not doing this on purpose. Right. I'm not like actually at fault for this, mm. truly, right. in a way that would would is condemnable. But at the same time, I don't have to oppose 
my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And I get to accept their <laughs> accusations of me. And so in this way, I get to have my cake and eat it too. Yeah. I'm not truly at fault. And I get to still keep my woke friends yeah. and embrace what they're saying. And then I get to, you know, tweet and post on social media. This is unjust. Systems are racist. I oppose racism. I'm a friend of black people. Black lives matter. I stand in solidarity with black people. Um, and and so they're thereby escape a guilty conscience. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, but but here's here's where I think the, the crucial effects of this I think what ends up happening is you is you train Christians to to actually teach their conscience to misdefine sin mm. right sin now now I created in my category if you're that person a category of sin that's undetectable I'm not truly as at fault for it right and I introduce really to this conscience of my church, the members of my church, a category of sin that I can't really see. And it's kind of unclear and undetectable to me, but it's still sin. Yeah. And I'm guilty of it. And hey, but then I don't, I don't actually have to repent in biblical ways. Yeah. Yeah. You, what effect do you think that's going to have on a church long term? Not good. Man. Right. <laughs> To, to feel guilt when it's not actually guilty mm-hmm. and set a standard for itself of some unattainable and un- it's, it's ambiguous of what real repentance is. Yeah. That's not going to just be restricted to the area of racism. That's going to have its effect on people's marriages, right? What do you, the wife is going to say, yo, you don't, husband, you don't see the ways that you've been unjust in our marriage or sinful in our marriage. I have clarity here. I'm the victim here. You need to embrace what I'm saying you're doing wrong, even though you can't see. Right. So then the husband's under pressure now to capitulate (laughs) in the same ways that he has on the race issue now in his marriage. Wait, the kids are going to grow up. You don't see it, parents. This is unjust. (laughs) I'm being untreated fairly. You don't see it. Trust my perspective on this. And, and bow to the standards that I'm setting here as as a victim of your injustice. I mean, on and on and on. Yeah. And then you really have no you have no clarity for your own conscience sake on what real repentance is and what God actually requires. Yeah. And so I think for the sake of the life of, of your church, you have to reject these ideas mm. or else it's gonna it's gonna spread like gangrene yeah. and have its effect on on people's lives, man, conscience man, that, long term. This is a this is a good point. You're you're kind of leading into that. This idea, ultimately, what you described, kind of was this standpoint epistemology. This will experience that you know maybe someone else can't see. You know where it might be a a woman saying this to a male, a black person saying this to a white person. This this not only has fundamental uh, you know errors in it from from a theological standpoint, but sounds like what you're saying is practically it actually will hurt um families marriages uh churches uh other institutions that god has given for uh for christians to be in is is that right absolutely and i think that if you read uh what first timothy says about the christian's pursuit of godliness this is sort of like foundational to the entire book 
um, the way I've described it for our young adults ministry is Paul is writing First Timothy to his disciple so that he would confidently shepherd the church to practice piety produced love. That is love for others that comes from a pious life, a, a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. What's going to happen long term to people who have embraced these ideas is they're going to give up on what on on the faith. Yeah, they're going to shipwreck of their faith. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I've been there, done that, tried that, and I'm either you know for some people I think it's just going to come from a faint heartedness that I can't tell what's in anymore, mm. and God's word didn't give me clarity when it came to these things mm-hmm. i'm gonna be burdened with a guilty conscience because i can never master sin i can never gain traction in holiness wow and so that's gonna have its effect not only on the individual christian but on the 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 life of the church because they're gonna be failing to love one another from a pious life and so when you have the church being misinformed about how to actually go after holiness, I'm talking about true justice, real unity mm-hmm. in the church, because I can't obtain godliness and, and achieve those things on God's terms, then I'm going to come to the conclusion eventually this doesn't even work. Yeah, yeah. What do I need that for? Right. People um, be faint-hearted, man, and they're gonna walk away from from the faith. Yeah, no doubt, man. Well, man, I appreciate uh, your your labor in all this, man. I, I definitely highly encourage those who are listening to uh, check out that uh, six-part series. Uh, it'll definitely be in the show notes, and 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 definitely, man, just uh, man, stay in this battle, man. I, I think just kind of what you said. I think it's gonna be a long-term issue. Like, I don't think it's going away tomorrow. But uh, but to be connected to the local body, to be uh, to be praying, you know, it's it's a it's a multitude of uh, resources I would give. Uh, you know, ultimately, you know, staying in the Word of God, being convinced of what the Scripture says, you know, what what God has said, you know, listening to that the ultimate authority, which is what God has revealed in the Scriptures. Man, any any last words, man? Yeah, the 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 one thing I want to just say in closing is that. If your church is teaching this, if your church is teaching in in whatever form these ungodly ideologies, then quickly seek to reason with your pastors. And if they don't abandon this, then you need to to find a church that that has. Yeah, yeah. Um, find a church that's teaching real. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's made scripture alone, their authority that believes the sufficiency and clarity and authority of scripture, um, for the sake of your own soul and for the sake of, of, of those you love, get out of churches that are teaching this. Um, there are, there are churches that are, that are being faithful to, uh, not just expose this error, but error, but have actually been practicing a biblical ecclesiology and preaching the word and i think that for the for the christian that's just that that is a non-negotiable yeah biblical ministry and and it's worth whatever sacrifices come 
to to have that. If you have to pack up and move your family and find new work, you would uh you would not regret that that decision when you stand before God one Amen. day. And and you can do that with tears and all the rest, but yeah. but it's worth it for the sake of, of your own soul. Amen. Amen. Everybody, hey.